Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Brown Skin Speaks. I am your host for this evening, Friday, April 8th, and I go by the name Brown Skin. Tonight's episode is Black Men and the Prison Industrial Complex. There are more black men in jail than in colleges. With prisons, um, prisons are seen as profitable and a way to uh, ensure that they get filled um, is men of color have been the ones disproportionately filling them. According to research, approximately 50% of black men will spend some time in prison or a juvenile or in the juvenile detention center. My guest, Reverend Henry Rice, was a convicted felon back in 1984, sentenced to four years from killing a man over 19 bags of cocaine. Taking drugs at a young age, he entered a drug treatment program and various workshops to better himself. He also received his GED after petitioning for a time reduction in 1991 he eventually received time served and was unanimously released by the Board of, of Pardons in Connecticut. Here to share his views on why black men keep going to prison, the prison industrial complex, and ways to keep men out of color out of prison, I welcome Reverend Henry Rice. How are you this evening? It's Henry Price, P-R-I-C-E. Henry Price. I kept saying Rice. I apologize. <laughs> How you doing? I am doing well. First and foremost, thank you for for joining me this evening. Thank you, thank quite, you, thank you. You're quite welcome. Um, let me. Yeah, let me, I, let, let me I, I know. You know. I just heard everything you said. There's some things dismissing from that, but I I like to ask you a question, and probably to the entire listening audience. Yeah, most definitely. If you woke up blind tomorrow morning, do you think that will alter your life? Of course it will. And would you say that people in your life that care about you and love you, that their life would also be altered? Of, of, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I ask you that question because of the mere fact that that gives me the opening of what I have to say. At right. five years old, I was raped by my uncle. At oh, wow. Seven year, at seven years old, my aunt used to put me under her, put her dress over my head. From the age 3 to the age 11, I watched my father beat my mother, her laying in puddles of blood, cops in and out of our community, you know, in and out of the house, in and out of the community. At the age 10, I started using drugs at the age 10. And I stayed on that merry-go-round from the age 10 to the age 32. Now, as a drug addict, even though in 1984 I killed the man over 19 bags of cocaine, you have to understand the lifestyle I was living as a drug addict it brought me into the penal system. So I was in and out of the penal system. So by the time I killed the man over 19 bags of cocaine, I have spent 20 years in and out of the penal system. You understand? 20 years. So when in 1984, when I went to prison, I was sentenced to 40 years for killing a man. This is what happened to me. When I walked into prison, I was poor, uneducated, unskilled, and I was illiterate. Just now, when I, like I was it, illiterate, no. meaning that I couldn't read. When I, 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 they say that nearly eighty percent of the people that's in prison never completed grade school. So I never completed grade school. I was one of those statistics, meaning that when I quit school in the ninth grade, I was reading at a third grade level. In other words, I was a functional illiterate. So when I went to prison, some guys said, "You know something." 
we're going to teach you how to read. Well, they well, taught how me how to read. How old were you, how old were you when you committed a crime? 32 years old. You were 32, 32 years okay. old, and, and, and I was reading at a third grade, grade level because I was supposed to do illiterate. So what happened is these guys taught me how to read. When they taught me how to read within six years, I took my GED and I graduated at the top of the class. I had the highest scores of anybody who took the GED, and it was like over 250 men that took the GED. Now, six years prior to that, remember, I was reading at a third grade level. When I learned how to read, my entire life changed, just like if you woke up blind tomorrow, your whole life changed. My whole life was altered tremendously when I learned how to read. In prison, I wrote up a program called Cultural Affairs Service that bringing the different cultural events to the different ethnic groups. I started Black History Month programs in the state of Connecticut. I wrote up a family photo program that take pictures in the visiting room that take, still make money for that their particular program today. So I'm doing all these here different programs, writing up these here programs, all because my life was altered. I learned how to read. I got involved in history. I got involved in mathematics. I got involved in science. And then in 1984, the Connecticut Board of Pardons commuted my sentence to time served. Now, it'll get more interesting. In 1991, the Board of Pardons commuted my sentence to by 10 years. I was so how many, lot, when, I was, when you got to the time reduction part, how many years did you serve at that time by then? At that time, I had only served from 82 to 1991. We're talking about nine years. Yeah, In nine yeah. years, the Connecticut Board of Pardons commuted my sentence by 10 years. I was sent to what we call pre-release. On pre-release, I spent only 26 hours a week in jail. All of my other time was spent on the street on furloughs. I became oh, a drug, okay. I became a drug counselor while I was on pre-release. I graduated from seminary school while I was on pre-release. Not only that, the mayor in the city of Hartford appointed me to the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Commission. And in six months, the entire 17 commission voted me in as chairman of the commission. I'm on pre-release in jail setting drug policy for the city of Hartford, and I walked in prison poor, uneducated, unskilled, and illiterate. Well, I wanna, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I, you, you know, with, with all of that being said and, and all those things happening to you, you know, prison, let's break down the prison industrial complex. You know, everyone knows that prisons have been privatized, they're seen as profitable, and black men, overall men of color, are the ones, disproportionately filling the prisons. Did that become apparent to you when you were in prison, or you just weren't even thinking about it? I wasn't thinking about it because when you were aware like this was happening. When you're illiterate, none of that stuff appears, and none of that stuff comes to your conscious mind. Because of the right. matter of fact, once again, we're talking about the invisible elephant in the room that nobody want to talk about. When the we problem, talk right. about nearly 87% of our children are illiterate, can't pass a proficiency test, let alone that goal or advance, then there is a problem. And this is the problem when you look at people in prison. A lot of times we talk about they're there because of drugs and alcohol and, 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 and other things. If I go to the doctor and I say, doctor, 
My nose is running. My throat is hurting. I'm running a fever. I'm getting hot and cold flashes. feel like somebody just stepping on my body. The doctor will look at me, and he will say, Mr. Price or Reverend Price, whatever he called me, and says, it sounds like you have the symptoms of the flu. Now, the problem is if you fight my symptoms, you'll never get rid of the flu. In our prison systems, we keep fighting the symptoms and never deal with the problems, and this is why that we have a recidivism rate almost 75% of people come in prison, they leave and come back. Why? Because we do not connect the dots between prison and literacy. Prison See, that was the word out. that I, I stumbled across, and I, I really I didn't, I didn't know what recidivism was, but I, I understood why it happened, and I said, okay, this is habitual relapse, you know. The, the programs that are in prison, you, you know, are they are they effective enough that you all have to learn how to re-enter society? You all are far removed, living a different way of life. What are these programs doing for you all? Have, have, have you seen the effects of these programs? The effective programs don't mean anything when somebody can't read. I don't care how many programs you have. I don't care what you do, how many drug programs, how many so-called educational programs. Education don't mean anything to a kid that can't read. Eighty percent of the prison population today haven't completed grade school, and we're talking about programs. What programs? If you can't read a program, don't mean anything. Right. And this is what I'm saying, that we do not connect the dots in our society. But there's a mother out there that's listening to this program clearly understands. There's a woman out there clearly understand why her man or her husband keep going in and out of prison and can't take care of his kids because she knows deep down inside her man or her husband can't read. Who going to hire him? When you come out of prison, who going to hire a guy that can't read? Right. Well, he's but not he, going to hire he, you. You were proactive in wanting to read. You were proactive in wanting to learn. But you can't say that about everybody else in prison. What? What brought you to want to, to better yourself? Because I, I guarantee you, you left men behind that were probably still in the same condition, if not worse, when they entered. People always ask me that. It's not like one day I get a, got a rest. It's just only the grace of God. You know, right. there's, there's most people like me that don't suppose to make it. I suppose to have been dead. I'm 61 years old. I suppose to have been dead years ago. OD three times in one night, drug addict for 22 years, was illiterate to the age of 32. I didn't suppose to make it. It's just the grace of God. We look for reasons why people, didn't you get a revelation? Didn't you become aware? Didn't you have a desire? No, I didn't have a desire. Why it happened to me and didn't happen to somebody else? Only because of God's grace. That's the only thing I could contributed to. It's not like that I woke up one morning and said, guess what? I can't read. I want to learn how to read. I want to change my life. That didn't happen that way. And it don't happen to most people that way. That's in prayer. Right. Now, if, if, if you're just now tuning in, you're listening to the Brownstone Speaks Radio, Black Men in the Prison Industrial Complex, and I have Reverend Henry Price on the phone. If you'd like to join in on the discussion, call in at 347-202-0591, and I do have a guest on the line. Caller, are you there? Hello? Caller? Hello? Yeah. Are you there? Hello? I can't hear them. Okay. Now, Reverend Price, 
you what I, what I'm curious to know is after you got your GED, after you know all these things were happening for you, what happened to the men that you left behind? Well, what a lot you, of the men that I left behind, a lot of them, some died off. Some got oh, out wow. and going in and out of that revolving door. You know, some just doesn't take the initiative. I mean, you've been robbed, you've been stripped, you've been humiliated, you've been degraded. We got stuff going back from from years after years after years, stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff, and we let these things go undetected. But the bottom line, see, you get reading classes in the first, second, and third grade. After the third grade, you get some reading but not reading classes, meaning at the end of the third grade, if a kid don't have a desire to read, he don't have a desire for mathematics, a desire for science, a desire for history. That's just a fact. That's just that's a proven fact. So what's happening is if we, when people walk in prison, the first thing we need to say what we said when people, when HIV was going through our community. When HIV came through the black community, people didn't know what to do. They scratching their head, what we going to do, and people are dying. And somebody said, wait a minute, we got to get everybody tested. It didn't matter what kind of lifestyle you was living, because if you was ever in one of those situations that with the possibility that it could have happened without you knowing it, you had to get tested. If we do not test our kids now, then we can expect them or you can expect to go visit your brother in prison, your sister in prison, if not at the mall, because of the mere fact that this revolving door is going to continue to happen because our children can't read. Mm-hmm. 87%. Now, I did an interview with, I do quite a few interviews, and 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 I asked the guy one time, I said, what do you think our graduation rate is for for our black historical colleges? He thought it was something like four, in, in the 40, you know, 40, 42%. I said, wait a minute, it's 23%. Now, this happened to be at Tennessee State where I was doing the interview. Do you know what's the graduation state at Tennessee, the graduation rate at Tennessee State? No, it's 11%. Why? Well, because in inner city America, when somebody graduates from the 12th grade, I wouldn't care if it's New York, Chicago, Detroit, um, St. Louis, Hartford, Connecticut. When they graduate from the 12th grade, 80% or more is reading at a ninth grade level. When they go into college and get in college material to read, they can't read. So what do they end up doing? Dropping out of college. Right. Now, I, we, we do have another caller um, I want to definitely bring them on board. Caller, are you are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, can you please introduce yourself? Um, uh, I don't know if I I can't give you my name in, in total, but uh, let's just say my name is uh, Ray, and okay. uh, I have been incarcerated for the last 20 years in the Georgia, Georgia penal system, and wow. uh, that is pretty much who I am. So you you're currently incarcerated. So I have Reverend Henry Price, and he was incarcerated for killing a man um, when he was 32 years old. What was what was your story? Was your story similar? What what got you incarcerated, Ray? What led you to to have served 20 years as as of as of today? Um, I um, initially I I uh, as I graduated from high school, I went into the army for a brief stint and uh had discipline issues 
And so I returned to the streets and I got involved, I guess you could say, with the wrong set of people. And uh, the streets um, had turned me, I guess, into a very bitter person. So it came very second nature to start playing with guns uh, and to start hurting people because I was hurting inside myself. And right. so, uh, and so, uh, one night, I, uh, well, prior to a friend of mine decided, uh, a friend of mine, uh, had got into some shady, uh, actions and he turned, got shot five times. So as he laid in his bed in, in a, a partial coma, so to speak, he in turn, uh, ordered out a name and, uh, the four of us decided that we were going to avenge his murder uh, prior to him dying, in, w in which he did not eventually die as a result. And I've uh, pretty much been a man of my word for uh, a very, very long time. And I gave my word that upon seeing the individual that I was going to uh, kill this individual. And I happened to see this individual, uh, and that's pretty much what I did. I carried through uh, with my word. So you so you killed a man as well. Yes, I I okay. I, I uh, yes, uh, yes okay. I did. So for this is for both you Ray and Reverend Price because you know uh, obviously you all you know committed similar crimes. Did you did you all feel as if you all had to turn alternatives to a life of crime such as a mentor, school, etc. Were those even options for you all, um, Reverend Price? If you want to go ahead and and, and answer that. Yeah, you know, first. It's, 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 you know, I'm answering the question, but you know, it's it seemed like a lot of times we end up drinking the Kool Aid, and what I mean by end up drinking the Kool Aid, once again, if we talking about 87 percent of our children can't read, and if we talking about nearly 80 percent of the prison population never completed grade school. When we keep talking about these other issues that divert us from the real issue, we get caught up in what everybody else seems to do in our society. We bypass the real issue and keep dealing with the symptoms and not the root of the problem. I have to keep stating over and over and over again. When you talk, I heard the brother talk about pain, hurt and pain when a kid is in the fifth grade and his teacher put him up there in the front of the classroom to read, he's embarrassed, he feels ashamed, he feels pain, and he's hurt. He becomes the class clown, he becomes the bully, he always ends up in and out of the principal office because he's trying to deal with the pain. So what do we do? When he gets to be about 13 years old, he ends up with a girl having sex. It's not because he loved the girl, it's because... He learned how to do something to make him feel good. Because right. from the fifth grade on, all he felt is embarrassment, all he felt is hurt, and all he felt is pain. And he learned how the masses, because of the mere fact he can't read. Now we keep talking about what do we do if we, number one, even the brother that's talking on the phone, when we hang up, if you don't go get your brother and say, I'm getting you tested, if you don't go get your sister, one person, you don't have to get three, four, or five. 
one person and say, I got to get you tested. Because if we don't get our children tested, and a lot of adults, we're going to continue to fill up the prison system because the people that's filling up our prison system, you said it in the beginning, sister, when you have over 2 million black men in prison, more black men in prison than in college, we got a problem. And we never look at the root of the problem. We keep dealing with the symptoms. Why did you go to prison? Well, drugs drugs is not what sent me to prison. Right, That had nothing to do with it. That was the symptom. Well, Ray, Ray, did you, I mean, you know, you finished high school. You know, what, did you see other alternatives or or those were just, you just ignored that? You didn't really care for much, care too much for them. Can you repeat yourself? I didn't hear you, ma'am. No, I said, well, what about your alternatives um, to the life of crime? Is this something that you just wanted to do? Because you, you, you were able to finish high school, or it was just, you were just being rebellious because of the, the pain in your life. Uh, okay, um, at 11 years old, at 11 years old in 1981, uh, my father was a command sergeant major in the Army, and he decided to, uh, he was going to court-martial a woman because she was on drugs, and her boyfriend came to our house, and he killed my father. So I watched oh. murder, I watched murder at a very, very young age. Now, what the army, the army in turn did, gave um, my family a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, twenty-one gun salute, and a flag. Uh, it was such a traumatizing experience. Uh, my mother has never had another man outside of my father. Um, oh, um, um, we in turn watched my father breathe his last breath, and at a young age, I I ingested guns. And power. Okay, so uh, the hurt that I in turn carried on through me, it it didn't come from. It came. It stemmed from that. I've never had a problem. I hear that you're you know you're speaking from an educational aspect. Um, I started college in the twelfth grade. I I was in upper I was in the upper bound program. I I had several opportunities, but. What really I think that this sent me down the wrong road is that, you know, my mother was hurting very, very bad, and we had a lot of money as a result of my father being killed. We had no mortgage because insurance paid off the mortgage. So my mother being that she was a woman who didn't have to manage the money, all she was was a housewife, you know, she mismanaged the money. And in turn, the money became a a a a a solve, if you will, for the pain. And so when I I remember when I got uh, 15 years old, my mother bought me a 1981 Honda Accord, a $9,000 car. I didn't even have my driver's license. I had a learner's permit. And so when at, at that was the last piece of money outside of Social Security. So when we ran out of money and my mother couldn't continue to give me money, continue to give me money, I thought my mother didn't love me. So I always had this hunger for money as a result of being... That thing, it was associated with, 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 the, with your mother's love in a sense. Right. And I associated having money with happiness. And when you don't have money, you had I had a pain that I that would continue to be evolve inside of me. 
So after I graduated from high school and went in the Army because I wanted to pattern behind my father's footsteps, but the money was not right. And I had discipline issues. And I had uh, uh, protocol issues. And so when I came back and I got introduced to the drug game, now you're talking about the drug game in 87, right when crack cocaine was at the pinnacle in the United States. So it was the money was good, and I was re-embracing and in, 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 into what I experienced at 12, 13, or 14 years old. Okay, so as you continue, as I continue to filter inside of the streets, you know, loyalty words like loyalty and honor and and respect, all of these things that you ingest when you're in this street life. So to have one of my soldiers, uh shot like that was an act of disrespect that warranted that that, right. that I felt and that we felt we had to uh, 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 we had to straighten that if you will that was my situation now from the educational aspect I am very educated I mean I'm reading right. the Mac Life now I have you know several I'm into computers I'm into uh software I'm into you know uh, uh I'm into health I mean I'm pretty much you know I can read a time magazine and won't have no problem uh you know I can talk about economy I'm pretty kind of versed out I'm 40 years old and I've read a lot over these years this is what well, happened. that leads me to the next question because that's the one thing, you know, Reverend Price, you had mentioned this about education coming in illiterate and, and then you being very educated, Ray. What are the biggest myths about prison in the minds of the people in the free world? Because on the outside, with, you know, me not having ever had to deal with that and not knowing too many people that have dealt with it to the extent that you all have, you know, media portrays certain things to us for us to swallow and believe these things. But but it may not necessarily be the case, you know, um, because you all have again have experiences firsthand. What, Let me what say again some, with with, yeah. with with Ray. Okay, see, this is what we do. There there are people that fall through the cracks in terms we said they made it. There are people we talking about. If we talking about eighty seven percent of our kids can't read, so we know that Ray is one of the thirteen percent that can. We can't right. use race story to validate that why black men is in prison. We don't use that one story to validate it because we can say Ray is educated. Okay, he falls in that 13%. But what about that 87% of our kids that can't read? And what about the 80% of the people that's in prison right now never completed grade school? I heard Ray talk about his soldiers. Well, how many soldiers he had Nearly 80% of his soldiers probably couldn't read, but nobody going to ever talk about that. His soldiers not going to say, hey, I couldn't read. And, and Ray probably won't say about his soldiers, but the thing is this here. If we don't start dealing with the invisible elephant in the room, and on Christmas, the multibillion-dollar holiday, billions of dollars is being spent. When you was growing up, and I know when, I'm grow, when I was growing up because I'm 61, how much money was spent on books? People, parents didn't buy them books in our community because the invisible elephant that they didn't want to talk about, they knew they could, kids couldn't read. That's why they didn't buy them books. But we keep talking about these other symptoms. We keep dealing with the symptoms. That's why we never deal with the root of the problem. 
We won't right. trust our kids because we are under the assumption that because they know two and two is four and they could sign their name, we just assume our children can read. But they go to prison, get out, 75% recidivism rate. It's that 80% can't read. They can't get jobs. Who's going to hire somebody that can't read? And we talk oh, about right. education. We not when we talk about education, your definition of education is different than mine and different than somebody else. So we could disagree on education, but the one thing we should be able to come and agree on is that eighty seven percent of our kids can't read. That's an academic that's going on in our community. It's a disease but it's curable, but we won't deal with it. Ray, what what do you have to say to that? Um, okay, um, and not not playing the devil advocate, and I'm I can't actually say that your statistics are 100 percent right and exact. All right, but just we just gonna take for granted that they are. Go to now, test our kids. Go to testourkids.com. Go to testourkids.com. Right, I, 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 I got you. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay. Um, out of that 87 percent, okay, you have a large percentage of males in prison from on my end that don't want to read, that don't care right. about about reading. It takes an active will from the individual to strive to want to better himself. Okay? Now, for instance, and on this end, the they don't put you there they're not concerned with putting you in the GED program. However, they will put you in the program if you ask to be put in the program. But being that prison is such a lazy environment, what most guys do is take $100 and go buy their GED. And that GED is forwarded to Atlanta, and it is put in your file, and on paper you have a GED, but you bought it. Well, you confirmed everything I said about people can't read. You you are confirming everything that I'm saying that they can't read. You confirming what I'm saying, but okay, but listen, but listen, brother, listen, listen, listen. It's not so much that they can't read; it's other they issues involved. They, they can't comprehend. They can read. They can go read a pilot ticket on the wall and see that Boston is giving a four, and they can go see that Santa Anne is the over with Santa Anne. And yes, they can read. Okay. Yes, now, when a memo comes up on the board. When a memo comes on the board for the warden, yes, they can read. Listen, that is what they're reading. Just like a car run off a cylinder. Man run off four cylinders. We run off of mathematics, science, history, and literacy. Now, the question I have for you all, though, is the biggest thing that you were saying about the GED program, the education. And before you came on, Ray, I I was asking Reverend Price about this, was, the effectiveness of the programs, you know, you you hit something on the nail. Because I, I, I was curious, if are these programs effective? Do they want people to educate themselves in, in, in these programs? Because you, you may mention that unless you ask for it, they're not offering it. Why aren't they making, why isn't there a willingness to want to educate you all to learn how to get back into the re-entering society? In, in the 30s, That's in the 30s. In the 30s, Carter G. Woodson wrote a book called Miseducation of the Negro. He didn't talk about just racism. He talked about institutionalized racism. Right. Now, this right. is but scientific. And, and, and people this consider is, prison to be a is, mod, like modern-day slavery. This is, this, is, this is scientific. When you've been... Con-
conditioned in the kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, and third grade not to read, don't shoot me, then blame me for not going to the hospital when I'm 30 years old. You have conditioned me not to read. You have conditioned me not to like um, mathematics, science, or history. I'm not going to like those things if I can't read. Listen, if a person can't read, their comprehension level is at rock bottom. Now, you may read a memo, and this is what he this is what he's trying to say. There's a memo come out from the warden. You know, there is a memo that somebody could read, and we because somebody could read a few lines, we say they're not illiterate, but they are functional illiterates. They at a third grade reading level. They never completed grade school, and we talking about because they read a memo. They can read. If you test them, they will not pass a proficiency test, let alone at goal or advanced. Just because they read, you don't say they can read. Ray, what do you have to say about that? It's 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 not so much it's it's not cut and dry like this because I can I can go and point you to several functionally illiterate people that can read a penthouse night story back and forth. It is the content of what you're reading. You said it right. functional illiteracy. You're not reading things to you're not reading things to Better yourself and add, and to be an asset to society. You the things in which you're involved in is for your own personal use only. It does not benefit society. Ray, I don't want you to drink the Kool Aid like a lot of people drink. The no, well, Ray, no, let me, let me, let me, let me understand what I'm saying, Ray. Point. Let me understand what I'm saying about the Kool Aid, Ray. See, we have yeah. been conditioned that. We have been conditioned that we do the same old things over and over and over, and for some reason we think those things work when they don't. We've been conditioned to believe certain things even about ourselves. Now, it's a sad commentary when it's a proven fact that 87%, a proven fact, go to testourkids.com, go on the Internet, this is the system telling you this, not me. I'm not dealing with no emotional statistics. I'm dealing with something that is factual, that 87% of our kids, can we, 80% of our people in prison never completed grade school. This is why these guys keep going back to prison over well, I have and a question. over and over. Brown, brown, brown skin, brown skin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, I'm here. Let, let me let me interject just one thing. Just just put yeah, one thing yeah, on the table. Um, you know, Brian Holiday ill by the intelligent brother. So I'm gonna say I think I think what what I don't know if you all have uh, heard of uh Stephen Covey. He wrote a a book called uh The Seven Habits of Highly Effective yeah, People. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, exactly. And his yeah. latest book one of his latest books was The Eighth Habit. Um yeah. Exactly. But there's a concept that was introduced called emotional IQ. So here the brother, the reverend, is talking on the one hand, which is so crucial. And then here you, on the other hand, was talking about emotional issues, which boils down to what I would like to interject, which is, um, you know, how about reading in terms of emotion? Maybe we're not, you know, emotionally literate. We don't know which emotions to We don't know how to read our emotions. You know, maybe if we knew how to read anger, knew how to read 
that way we could channel it for a pot to more. Because most of the time, people end up in situations that lead them to prison because of making making decisions out of base based off of emotion. You know, but so angry. It's angry it's you know, I'm angry. You know. Hold on, real quick, Ray. Hold on. Um, okay, so, sure. so, Brian, it sounds like you're saying people just basically need to be more conscious of of their emotions, how things are affecting them, and and and, and acknowledge it. That that that's and more so the, along the lines of what you're you're saying as far as being emotionally um, like channeling channeling right, your emotions. Exactly, Bronski. Just to take it deeper, when we talk about fatherless households, we can't we can't talk about the have a serious discussion about. Um, the prison industrial complex and the overwhelming majority of the individuals being locked up and being incarcerated, being quote unquote black males. We can't discuss that without talking about the absence of the father or the absence of the presence of the father or the contribution yeah. of the father and the where you know the the uprightness and the support of the father in the household because the mother provides by nature now some mothers do more than this, but I'm just saying by nature mothers provide emotional support. They they provide um, a, 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 a foundation of sensitivity, uh, con, you know, a sensitivity of conscience. Now, what the father is predisposed by nature to provide is mental stability, mental guidance, mental fortitude, reasoning, logic. See, so when you take the father out of the household, you take that 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 which is that element which is that that core element fundamental element which is that father providing that mental stability so now you have a child but that's see, largely he, driven off of emotion so but see, Brian, both of them actually had different stories uh with with how their fathers exited their lives per se you know uh mm-hmm. reverend price his father used to beat his mother nearly to her death and then and then ray you know his father was killed you know what I mean? So it, everyone digests that so differently. Uh, but let me make you know. it clear. That's not why I went to prison because my father beat me. Right. No, that no, ain't no I, I understand that. No, I definitely and, understand and, that. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and emotionally, that is not what drove me to prison. What took me to prison is because I couldn't read. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't take care of it. You want me to be a father? How am I going to be a father and I can't even read? I can't even sit down with my kids and teach them anything. We're talking about I'm supposed to be a leader in my household. I'm supposed to be a provider in my household. I can't even do any of that there when I don't even know how to read to get a job to provide for so my kids. Was it in a sense, so you, did you feel like less of a man than Reverend Bryce and and so you did things that you felt like would 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 balance that out. No, what 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 balanced this thing out is that if I would have got tested, if I could have sat down, somebody sat down with me and got me tested at an early age, because by me not getting tested, I was one of those guys that the system could sit back. Wherever you live in inner city, they could say, in 15 years from now, we're going to have to build one or two more prisons. How can they make that statement 10 to 15 years prior to building a prison? It's because they clearly understand that I am targeted for prison in the third grade. That's just a well, so that being said, if I don't, if, if nobody tested me to find out, hey, can he read? Because if I only got tested at a young age, 
that could have prevented a lot of the devastation that took place in my life because when people learn how to read, it's just like if you wake up blind, it will alter your life. Most people that learn how to read, it will alter their life, and it will alter the people in their lives, especially their children. I, 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 okay. I do agree with you, but I think that plays a, a partial role. Go, Brian, you got something to say? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um. And, and Okay. Now, granted, granted, what I'm saying is you have a viable uh, claim, but it's not a the panacea uh, in the sense that I could go and point you to several guys who could draft a whole house for you on a set of blueprints that they have taught themselves to do, but they cannot control themselves around a five-year-old. We have a very large child uh, 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 molester infestation in Georgia, okay? Because now I'm going to tell you something about prison in Georgia because I don't know exactly where you get time at. But, see, in Georgia, there is a saying that that it's always a new Negro, and I will explain that to you, all right? Okay, and I just toned that down for radio, okay? But when I first came in, you had a system in which the whites, you had the whites, was classified as whites, Blacks and everything else, with, excuse me, others and Asians and everything else was classified as black. Okay, now, Jesse Jackson came about and, and threw all these statistics about the, the, the county jail incarcerated rate of the white males, yet there's so less in prison. So what came about, I ushered in a new era of young black men in prison. Okay? Now, after I ushered that in, after I ushered that era in, in the next 10 years, the illiterate Mexican became the bad guy. The system is full of illiterate Mexicans. Now, the sex offender laws have changed substantially across with the Amber Laws and all of this that went on. It has changed the landscape substantially. Now, the new bad guy is the sexual offender. They are not illiterate by a long shot, brother. They don't have no problem with comprehending and interacting with humans, period. That they just have a problem around little children. Look here. If you test these child molesters that's in prison, once again, we keep ignoring the real raw data. The real raw data is 80% of the people in prison never completed grade school, meaning that there are a prison field of Functional illiterates. We, well, I don't care what name you want to put on. I wouldn't care if they Mexican. I wouldn't care if they black. I wouldn't care if they Hispanic. The bottom line is we can't ignore raw, real data. Wait, 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 Price. Because I want to chime in with this because I think this is a very important question because you all can probably both attest to this. But, but you know, with you, Ray, saying that everyone is grouped together, it's, it's you know, as they're all seen as black and, and, and whatever, you know, how much of a hand has, has, racism, has racism played in the disproportionate imprisonment and incarceration of people of color? 
uh, this is how racism plays. Uh, racism plays out in the citizen laws. Okay? okay, when you go and you mess around and you take your trial to jury, and that judge has a window of latitude to sentence you, then blacks are sentenced to longer sentences than whites. Uh, That's yeah. how that plays in, brother. For me, this if is I'm sentenced, if I'm 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 coming out of the Augusta area. Augusta is very very hard on time. I have met several people, my uh, associate of mine, uh, whom who had I've done uh, this my whole bid with. He cried to me his whole bid because they didn't give him parole. They would not grant him parole. Okay, now, lo and behold, they finally granted him to the halfway house, but he in turn messed up and came back to prison. But that's another whole story. He killed a baby. The father was holding the child, and he decided to draw down on the father, and he killed a baby in the metro area. He ended up with 20 years. I have a life sentence. I pled guilty to my life sentence. He took his he took his case to trial. So the sentencing disparities in Georgia are worlds apart. And this is this so is my this is my that's case. how racism manifests itself in Georgia. This is my thing. If we teach young kids how to read, we don't have to worry about okay. the sentencing laws because they wouldn't be going in and out of that system. Now, but this, I listen to you, but let me, let, let's go all the way back when you talk about racism. There are judges, there are lawyers, there are legislators that pass laws that said if you teach black people how to read, you can be arrested. It was a crime. In 1954, with Brown versus Board of Education, a case that we thought we won, but right here today in many states, and right here in Connecticut, there's a case called Chef versus O'Neill. We fight in the same fight in 1954, a case that we said we won. It's because this is institutional racism that Carter G. Woodson talked about. And the bottom line is that for some reason, no matter what you do to black people, no matter how much you dog them out, for some reason we just don't want to believe raw data. What people did to us back then, we say, is not going on today. Our kids can't read. There's no politician standing up saying, wait a minute, let's not talk about education. Let's talk about getting our kids tested. Let's talk about getting our kids in a position where they can learn how to read so they can have comprehension, so they could get involved with mathematics. They could get involved with science. They could get involved with history. But the bottom line, we got experts on nothing not talking about our kids learning how to read. We'll talk about well, everything is, else, but we will not talk about that, our kids learning how to read. This is one thing that stands out to me, though. You know, when we think about hip-hop, music, the things that we, we listen to, you know, um, this is almost seen as bravado, a badge of honor. What, Ray, starting with you, because I'm curious, how do, you, uh, how do we effectively break the stigma of men speaking as prison as, as, as something that, that – that that's honorable. Do you, I, I, I don't, do you see yourself as, as that? Okay, okay, okay. Um, it, it, 
that in prison is a a cloudy issue because for the simple reason this is a predator environment. Mm-hmm. And when you come in and when you come in this environment you have to have some type of defense mechanism. Because if you don't have a defense mechanism, you have you will be eaten alive by predators. And I mean not necessarily straight predators, but as well as gay predators. Okay, and when a, when a young man comes in prison, he is forced to make a decision concerning his sexuality and where he stands as a man. The majority of men that come in prison are men childs. They're not men. I had to attain my manhood in prison. I grew into the man that I am in prison. I had to make a conscious effort and choice on a lot of issues that defined me as a man in prison. So if you don't, I can't see you stripping that and coming in prison because you will be eaten alive. Prisons are about social circles. You have robbers or thieves. You have your dope boys. You have your 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 hustlers. You have your homosexuals. You have your your spiritual or your Christian or Muslim guys, and they are all and all of these uh, uh, personalities permeate the prison system. And you have to some kind of way group yourself and identify with something or someone. First of all, the number one thing we need to do is talk about how do we prevent black men from filling up our prison system. Number one, see, we got we got to talk about being proactive. Let's not talk about what to do one thing. Let's become proactive because all the people that you talked about, I guarantee mm-hmm. you, if you take 80% of those guys, and teach mm-hmm. them how to really to read, their whole life will become altered. They won't want to be in, get involved in gang violence. They want something better for their life. They see a whole new world is open up to them. They can't see it when you are illiterate. When you are well, a no, new illiterate, you can't see down the road. Reverend Pike, I understand the point Ray was making, and, and I don't think he was saying it as what we're focusing on, but where the stigma comes from, because, again, from some of my research, the stigma was, you know, men see there's no longer, there was no longer a negative stereotype of, of going to prison. Middle Wayne went to prison for about eight months. He came out, you know, and, and, and he came out who he came out to be, whatever may have you. But, you know, people think I went to prison, I'm tough, I'm tough. And, you, I, and I think just court, coordinating or, 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 or marrying the points that I guess are people looking at, prison as, as as something cool because you have to be strong. You have to fight off everyone that's going to try to eat you alive because they've been in there longer than you. Like, you're considered fresh meat when you walk in there, you know. But but I guess what what I'm still trying to get is... When there's even, no world, when there's no even world open up even, even coming, even coming in, you know, I, I know that may be the case for, for, for most of the people that go in, but what about the people again on the outside looking in? You know, how 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 is that that misperception getting out there that people it's okay to go to prison? It's okay because you look strong. That's that's where I feel like there's a disconnect. People that think it's okay 
to go to prison once again. But it comes from somewhere. If you, if you, if a person is tested and a person, a young person, learn how to read, most of them is not want to go. To, they do not want to go to prison. They want something better for themselves. Not only would they so want saying, something better for themselves, they gonna want something better for their children. That's just so the bottom right. line. When I'm when I'm illiterate, I'm in a total different world. I am in a world that nothing seems to be real to me. It's all made up stuff. And that's what's I, now, happening. Now, that's what's happening in our prison system now. See, this is what we. This is what I can't understand it. If 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 you look at the in inner city America. The Department of Correction budget is always bigger than the education budget, always. Not only that, there. if the system is saying to us, listen, when you look inside of these prisons all over America, they are saying 80% of these guys, number one, is illiterate, meaning that these guys is going to get out of prison and they can't get jobs. They, they can't work. They can't. Who's going to hire them? They can't help but continue to do what they're doing because no other world is open up to them. So they come out, they do the same old stuff, the same thing over and over, and return right back to where 80% of them can't having completed grade school, meaning that the average guy in prison, having, he's reading on a third grade level. I've learned one of the things that I've learned that 
some mistakes are irrevocable. Okay, sometimes you can mess your life up so bad that you cannot fix it. Okay, my what I have learned is in order to truly make, okay, you're, do you remember, let's go back to slavery. Okay, now, what they did, if you know about slavery, after they came from the Ivory Coast and what have you, then they came over here to the Middle Passage. And they stayed over in that area, and they weeded out the strong generation, the generation, that first generation who could pass down the tales to the next generation. They weeded out that generation, and they weeded out the second generation, and it was the third generation that finally made it over here to the Americas, the illiterate generation, so to speak. Okay? Now, what I'm saying is, is that at some point, you can't save you have to go back and save the next generation. You have to catch these kids at an impressionable age, and you have to be a positive role model in their life. I tell guys around here every day, not literally, but if you could just save one, if you could just go be positive in one young man's life, you will have did your service to God and to our race in whole. So that is what I am trying to 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 get across to these guys is that make a difference in one young man's life because my life at 40 years old or the next guy who's been incarcerated five times might can't be salvageable. Right. But education is very very important. Don't get me wrong. But a child still must be inspired by education. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, the child has to see from within. Hey, I dig this. The same way the child says, "I like." Uh, the other day, I was getting to a conversation, and the guy was saying, "You know what happened to me with the old heads did when I would come around and I was eleven years old and they was drinking beer and smoking reefer." They didn't, you know what they did? They passed me the beer, and they handed down the drugs to me. They didn't tell me, boy, go home or I'm going to beat your butt like you're supposed to. So what happens is is the generation before them, they bring these kids in. These kids are not uh, 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 developed mentally to make conscious choices. And that is a result of a, and as a result of that, another generation is lost. But at some point, we have to go back to the impressionable age and start to make a change in their life and let them continue to take that seed in life with them and pass it on down, just like the middle passage in reverse. Yeah. Because a lot well, of these guys in here don't want nothing other than the street life. That's all they want. For me, can I ask well, Reverend Price, my last well, Reverend Price, I, I, I know you, you have a couple of things going on. You, you know, you're a reverend now. You, there's an organization and that's your, you know, what, what have you been doing since you got out to, to keep people of color out of the system? Well, one thing, I run a program called God is Calling Men to Freedom. And what we do is uh, we teach life, men life coping skills, conflict resolution, domestic violence, violence prevention, money management, communication skills, parenting skills. And also we 
try to put them in a position where they have to take a look at themselves. But I clearly understand that if a guy can't read, none of this stuff means anything to him. I just want to say to the mothers, who is our last line of defense for our children, because the the babies is not crying out, Daddy, help me. The babies is crying out, Mommy, help me, Mommy, I need you. So to the mothers, I say this here. Because you are our last line of defense for our children, don't worry about the shame. Don't worry about the guilt. Go get your child tested to see where they're at in terms of reading because if you can get to your kid right now and teach him or her how to read, when they have children, their children's going to be affected by them knowing how to read and their children's life is going to change. So my thing is to the mothers, which is our last line of defense, and to the fathers that are in prison, I say to you that you have to get rid of the shame and you go have to get rid of the guilt and put your ego aside. And I'm just challenging you to say that I want to get tested. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. But before I go any further, I need to get tested because deep down inside, I know those brothers in prison, they know that they can't read, and they know when they get released, they're not going to be able to get a job, and they know right now when they get out, it's like going on a reentry furlough because they're coming back over and over and over again. And if we're going to stop, if some mother want to stop going to prison, visiting her kids, if some wife want to stop going to prison visiting her husband, then the only way this stuff is going to be turned around, that if I children learn how to read, then they won't end up in the prison system where we got to go visit them. I'm not saying all of them is not going to end up in the prison system, but the majority of our kids will not be filling our prison system, and I guarantee if our children learn how to read now, in 10 to 15 years from now, we won't be saying there's more black men in prison I mean, prison than in college. We won't be saying that there's 10, 15 years from now if our children learn how to read. Um, my, my last question to both of you all um, is, do you think the situation can be reversed as far as the, dis- the disproportionate imprisonment? Do you see this? Stopping, um, or is it going to continue to rise at alarming rates? In my uh, yes, um, you're you're that question is a very very political question, and it's much it's much bigger than just you and I. Um, You're dealing from from the economic and capitalistic standpoint, you have a system or a group of mindsets in which it is, or they have made it conducive for the young male to find his way in prison. Now, usually you have young men who are given the opportunity in the form of juvenile detention. Okay, but you take a child eleven or twelve years old and you throw him and you throw him in juvenile. 
Okay, juvenile in turn is a lawless land, and you keep him for eight months, and you let him go, and then you turn, then you take and put the child in a truancy school. Okay, and then he in turn drops out of school, and in turn, if he gets a chance to make it back to the juvenile one more time, by the time he in turn becomes an adult, then he has a track record that is very long and scarred. So now he is a catalyst for the system. He is primed and he is ready to be put on this carousel. And just like a carousel at the fair, you just get on and then it'll come back and pick you back up. Mm. So, 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 so you actually bigger than us is what you're saying. And, and, and it's just more than a question. We really have to dig in deeper and, and act um, through, because it sounds like we have to go through legislators and, and really dig into the laws that are in place now. Is that in essence? Precisely. What, yeah. You have yeah. a anytime you have fertile ground for a garden, you go out there and you plant your seeds and in turn your seeds after they're watered and cultivated with fertilizer, they grow like they're supposed to. Okay. Now on the flip side of that, if you go throw some seeds and some Georgia red clay, nothing is going to happen because the ground is not fertile. It is not ready to produce fruit. These people have created a system or a group of systems in which it is fertile ground for the young black man to find himself in prison and for him to grow in prison. I say so with I so without, so so, the point in which I'm making, all right, and this is the only thing that I can consciously do. I can consciously do. Okay, one of the one of the things that I want to do upon my release is I want to donate blood consistently. The reason I want to donate blood consistently is because maybe I can help save somebody else's child the same way I took someone's child's life. Life, yeah. You asked, is okay. it irreversible? So I yeah. can't go and say, hey, beg your pardon? Oh, no, he was, he was asking, I guess he was going back to the question I had initially asked, is, is this reversible as far as breaking down, you know, the, the rates that black men and women are getting locked up, especially black men? I'm saying for me that it's irreversible, and I think it's real simple. And I don't think that it requires legislation in anything. At the beginning of this program, I said to you, I put the question to you, if you woke up blind tomorrow, would that alter your whole life? You said yes. I also asked you, do you think that it will alter the people in your life that care about you? And, again, you said yes. I say it's irreversible because all I got to do is go get my son or my nephew or my cousin, or somebody I say that I love. I get that person tested the same way we had to test people for HIV. And if I find out that he or she can't read and teach them how to read, their whole life will be altered, just like if you woke up blind. A whole new world would open up to them where they don't want to get in gang violence, where they don't want to be babies having babies where they don't want to be running in and out of our prison system, 
a whole new world will open up to a lot of these young kids. A lot of young kids, because they can't read, they look at this as their only option. They don't care. They've been taught to believe that they nothing, that they nobody. They never going to amount to anything, and they brought into it because of the mere fact they can't get jobs. Nobody want to hire them. Nobody in their right mind would want to hire them and give them some decent money to make when they can't read, where they can't get involved in the job market, where they can't teach their children how to read. So their children become a product of them. Because I can't read, my kids feel the effects of me not being able to do those things like reading, something simple. They're going to feel the effects of it. But when I learn how to read, when I learn how to read, I get involved in mathematics, science, history. My children are going to be enthused about things like that because they're going to follow the lead from their father. But if I'm not in their lives, I can't teach them because I don't know how to read. You know, and that's sad. It's hopeless. So I can say the mothers is our last line of defense because our mothers would do anything for their babies just about. And the mothers know that if they're going to save our children, they're going to have to go to testourkids.com, sit down with their children and see for themselves. Don't go with the experts. Don't go with what people say. Don't even go with what I say. Just get test, get your kids tested. Sit and watch them. Where you don't have to worry about the system, people that you don't trust, testing them. Sit down with testourkids.com next to your child and see for yourself. What is the real deal? Brown skin. So, yes, yes. I just want to add one point. Um, yeah, to, to drum home with with uh, Reverend Price, is it? Yes, um, Reverend Price. Yep. What he is, um, how crucial it is, what he's saying, and also to drum home how crucial it is, what 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 Ray is bringing forth. Um, right. A, A is, um, in in the Islamic tradition. Uh, according to what was written, Prophet Muhammad uh, went into, I guess you could say, the desert. And an angel commanded him to do one thing that was read. And today you have millions and millions and millions and millions of Muslims all over the world. Um, now, that's just not to say, talking about from a religious standpoint, just to hammer home how crucial it is to read and, and how, how crucial it is to be um, proficient in reading. Secondly is I taught English and uh, communication skills for six years in the uh, Norfolk public school system. And one thing I noticed is that um, my most problematic, or what I would say is the children that had the most difficulties with uh, issues of uh, the judicial system um, struggle to read. Um, at the same time, when you probe deeper, there there was an emotional conflict that came from uh, the dynamics uh, that existed between the parents. So one of my biggest debates with the teachers was we have them reading, but it's not principle-based reading. It's not value-based reading. It's fundamental-based reading, meaning instead of the children just reading Sally went to the store and et cetera, you need to have, like, 
the stories need to be placed in context where children can relate to them. They can help solve problems in their lives. So, in other words, inside literacy needs to be incorporated principles and values and, um, you know, good standards of thinking and good standards of living as well. These all these things need to be interwoven. They shouldn't be separated from from the from the uh, learning process or from learning how to read. So just on just, just coupling, you know, the issue of emotional IQ, because if we're going to keep children out of trouble, we have to teach them to make good decisions. And like like uh, Reverend Price is saying, this all comes back down to reading. At the same time, I think it's it's crucial to teach character development, emotional IQ, um, teaching them the principles of love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice, teaching them uh, what it means to be upstanding, what it means to be upright, teaching them to find peace within themselves, teaching them to be emotionally stable and emotionally balanced. I think... Um, and I think literacy is the beginning of that. It's 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 the torch to that. But what will burn that fire is that is that positive influence, that positive motivation, that principle based motivation, um, in their life, you know, by whoever's teaching them how to read. Hey look, listen, I gotta I Listen, I got a count time that I got to stand up for count, right? I'm gonna keep this phone open and keep it on, right? And y'all just go ahead and dance around me a little bit. We're no problem, no Ray. We're about to wrap up anyways, but Ray, I just want to say before you go, thank you so much for um, taking the time out to to join join us and, and really talk about this discussion. And um, I just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thank you myself too, Ray. I really thank you for you know being yeah, able to listen to what you had to say tonight. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Um, um, I will I will talk to you guys. I I have to go now, and it was lovely. Fine. I enjoyed it immensely. Great, great. One, one, one thing I know about I know about count time. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Price, how can they find you? Your website, uh, your organization, are there links? Are you on Twitter? How can they find more about you and keep in touch and just reach out to you for speaking engagements, et cetera? Well, I have a publicist, Yusef. He, um, um, I think, yeah, you know. But anyway, you can always go to. Um, God is calling men dot com. God is calling men dot com, and um, my my home um, phone number is eight six zero nine nine seven zero two five nine. You always can get me at that their number, but go to um, God is calling men dot com, and my publicist is Yusef, and you always can get him at eight six zero. Nine nine seven six eight zero two. That's eight six zero nine nine seven six eight zero two. And one last thing, that please, um, parents out there, go to testourkids.com, and there's all kind of software, hardware, all kind of things that you can do in terms of when it comes to this here thing called literacy. How we can put our children in a position so that they can learn how to read so that we can start the process of emptying out this here diabolical prison system that have so many of our young men incarcerated. And I think that, you know, if we go there to testourkids.com, that's something, you know, will change in our lives. You know, I do a lot of phone interviews. I do a lot of speaking engagements, you know, and some some weeks I'm very tired because it's like speaking engagement after speaking engagement after speaking engagement. And the sad thing about it, I go to a lot of communities, and when it comes to white communities, it's like 
they seem to connect the dots. But for some reason, it's so difficult in our community to connect the dots when it comes to our children not being able to read. So hopefully, you know, um, just with the discussion tonight and for you allowing this discussion to take place that, you know, maybe, you know, some parent or somebody say, you know, I got to get my kid tested and then I can start the process of seeing what they need, you know, in their lives and what I could do, you know, to help put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I want to applaud you too, Brother Price. I want to applaud you for that, (laughs) um, for your efforts, because um, so many times there's a generalist, like you said, you placed, you found a crucial cog in the wheel. You know, you found the, uh, I guess, the fundamental issue that can total, that the game changer completely alterates, you know, our entire situation because the bedrock of transatlantic slavery was it was 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 it was was stopping them from speaking their language, stopping, you know, uh, our ancestors from practicing their culture, but most importantly stopping them from speaking their language. So now you got this whole wall, this whole world built around them after gener- generation after generation. And it was like you said, a literally a crime. And even what was that? Uh uh, uh Frederick Douglass. You know, if you want to go back to the Afrocentric studies and 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 with his whole liberation, he charged it to being able to read, and um, and and it was it, it was felonious to to teach uh, slaves how to read. And, you and know, um, when you said that, Frederick Douglass made the statement. He said that he thought slavery wasn't that bad until he learned how to read. Once he learned how to read, he realized. How bad? Because at, at that point, at, he, he didn't think it was that bad. But when you keep people at a mediocre level, they're not going to think there's anything beyond that mediocre level. But you know, um, mediocrity. So, but fellas, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you too, bro. No problem. I, I hope you know people were able to take something away from this. And, and you know, just doing the research on this is just it enlightened me a lot more, and um, just really. Inspire, it, it inspires me, but want, it injects in me to want to do more and, and really dig deeper um, because it, it, it's just more than talking about it. Talking about it is the first step, but we definitely have to act on it. So, fellas, thank you again. Thank you, Reverend Price. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Brian. And um, yeah. and tell Ray that I thank you again. So. Absolutely. And I'll be in touch, uh, Brown Skin and uh, Reverend Price. Okay. Yes, thank you. You have a and blessed you all night. Have a, all right, you you all have a good evening. Okay. You too, Brown Skin. Okay. Peace. Thank you to my guests. Uh, you are listening to Black Men and the Prison Industrial Complex episode. Again, thank you to all the listeners. You can catch this episode and other archive shows on brownskin.com, spelled B-R-N-S-K-N, and archiving, uh, or excuse me, off podcasting on iTunes. Um, until next time, Brownskin, please.